Yeah, okay, so this morning I was was thinking about life, the universe, and everything. And I was thinking about reality versus reality. Like, when we talk about health and getting some uh, health, <laughs> like, there are many realities, and they conflict, and they are nonetheless real, like, Things that need to be managed in order to um, achieve some kind of ob- objective that we're trying to get to. Yeah. And that, that like juggling of those realities is a really big part of the work that you do when you're working with people. Whether that is in clinical herbalism or helping people in your community or your family or whatever. Um, and so I wanted to just sort of talk about that a little bit and about how like the realities that are conflicting and colliding and then how we can manage those creatively to have better outcomes for the people that we're helping. Nice. So yeah, that's our topic for today. Uh, Before we get into it though, we want to let you all know, if you didn't know already, that our twice a year annual sale is going on now for the entire month of July. And this means that you can get 20% off of any of our programs, any of our individual courses. All of them, in fact. Everything that we offer. Uh, to do that, as you check out, you're going to want to use the code all together, A-L-L-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R, all together, all one word. Use that at checkout uh, and use it as many times as you want. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a one-time only thing. It does work on pay. Yes, it works on payment plans. Yes, it works on, it works on everything. Mm-hmm. Just use it. It's great. Yeah. It's good until the very end of July. Yeah. So we have tons of courses and programs for you to enjoy. Uh, Check them out at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Our cat is really excited about the microphone. So if there's there's nuzzling sounds, that's that's what what that is. Um, Also, I I wanted to say for a minute about our twice a year sale. This is a a sale that we do every single year. We've been doing it for a long time now. Um, Instead of doing like applications for scholarships or like, okay, we give a discount to people with a disability, but not to teachers or to this or to that. There's so many groups of people who need extra assistance and also people who aren't in any groups who need extra assistance. And instead of making 10 million codes and everything else, we just figured, listen, every six months, we'll just do 20% off of everything. And that way no one has to apply. There's no like hoops to jump through. You just know that you can plan on it. Every six months, there's going to be this 20% off sale. So we hope that that makes things easier to budget and easier to achieve and all that good stuff. Yeah. So now's the time. One more time. Online.commonwealthherbs.com. Yes. Okay, and before we get into the uh, rest of our topic for today, just a reminder that we're not doctors, we're herbalists, we're holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only. We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as a single objective standard, it's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So keep in mind, we're not attempting to present a single dogmatic right way that you need to adhere to. 
everyone's body is different. So the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope they'll give you some new information to think about and some ideas to research and experiment with further. Mm -hmm. Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, and it doesn't mean that you're to blame for your current state of health, but it does mean that the final decision when you're considering any course of action, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, that's always your choice to make. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so, you know, the first reality that I wanted to talk about, our cat Lucy is demonstrating really well right now. Um, she's right in front of the microphones and she is cleaning her paws and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're going to be able to hear it in the microphone. Um, but <laughs> we'll find out. Later. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll tell us if, if you can. Um, but uh, that is an example that I think about a lot because the first reality is that care of the body takes a long time, and it is not negotiable. It is not an option. It is not a luxury. Um, it must yeah. happen, and it takes a it takes a lot of energy to do yeah it's not set it and forget it it's not one and done <laughs> right you know. right right and you know when we look at each other of you know other humans and whatever we see very little care of self happening like people jump in the shower so that they don't smell when they go to work or they like do their hair or, or makeup or whatever but mostly that is for like appearances for what's expected of them at work or in their day. Um, and, you know, we eat food because we're hungry, but um, maybe there's not a lot of time or like whatever. Like there's a, there's a small number of things that we do to care for ourselves. But if you look at animals, and our cat was being a really good example there, they spend a huge amount of their time caring for their bodies. Um, I The... I would have to look up the number again for otters, but it's it's like more than half of a 24-hour cycle, otters, sea otters spend taking care of their fur. It's like more than 12 hours. And that makes a lot of sense because they float around in freezing cold water. And if their fur is not in really good condition, they will get hypothermic and um, won't survive. Uh, and so it's funny because you can hear that, that little fact. You can be like, oh, sea otters spend more than 12 hours a day taking care of their fur so that they don't get hypothermia. And then we say... Sucks for them. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, like we say, well, oh, wow, that's otters. Good. I'm so glad I'm not an otter. No wonder they don't build cities. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of thing. Um, and all of those statements are like, oh, we're so different than otters. And I mean, we are different than otters in many ways, but that is not one of the ways. Um, we, we too need to spend a lot of our time caring for our bodies. Our bodies require care. Yeah. I think one place that this can show up is in the context of chronic illness, and especially something like a chronic fatigue syndrome, of which there are many. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lots of flavors of that. Right. But just to say, like... Uh, you know, people in that situation, especially if that's not the way they've lived for much of their life, they might feel like all of a sudden I have to spend so much time resting and thinking about the kind of food that I eat and doing my self-care practices and my stretching and my, you know, all this different stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if that's a really big difference from the way that they had been living previously, that can feel like a burden or like an imposition. Mm -hmm. um, but in a fair number of cases, 
that habit or that set of habits uh, could have made a big difference in the progression of the illness in the first place mm -hmm. or the severity that it, that it extended to. And it also can mean that even in the context of a, of a serious illness, that these things can still be really beneficial. But we often see people who are writing from a place of frustration, and it's totally understandable. Mm -hmm. I mean, be really clear about that. And writing things like, listen, I'm sick of people on social media telling me that I need to rest, uh, that I need eight hours of sleep a night to be healthy, because I'm not healthy. And even if I did sleep eight hours tonight, I wouldn't feel healthy tomorrow. So yeah. don't, don't just tell me to rest, because I'm actually sick over here. And listen, that is 100 million trillion percent valid. That That is like a disconnect in expectation or lived experience. It, it does not mean that the person doesn't need care for their body. And, and a person who says, oh, you need some rest is not necessarily wrong in that. But the definition of what rest is for an abled person and a person who is disabled or who is chronically ill, um, those, those can be very different. And, and so sort of the discussion between the two can often feel very frustrating because the context is so different. Right, right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of like justified irritation in those kind of posts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're going along, you're dealing with a chronic illness, you spend, you know, eight hours a day in bed and the rest of the time is, you know, trying to do as much as you can with the energy you've got, not to use up all your spoons too fast, you know, things like that. And then you see someone and they're like, ah, well, if people would just sleep nine hours a night, then they would feel great. And you say, that's not me because I do that now and I don't feel great. I don't feel great. Right. Yeah. So again, people feel bad. They want to feel better. They mm -hmm. get frustrated when something seems, you know, offhand or it seems like it's coming from a person who isn't dealing with that level of illness and never has and doesn't understand what it's like. So that's all completely sane. But at the same time, no one is exempt from biology. <laughs> right. And I think that part is really critically important that we don't have a good handle on what our biology is and what our biological requirements are because our culture does not allow us to have that. That doesn't mean those are not biological requirements. We can't all just decide, sorry, productivity time. I'm not gonna pay attention to those biological requirements. That's not how it works, mm. but that is what our culture does. And so we don't necessarily understand for, for like so many reasons, which we'll get into um, in the second reality, we don't really understand what it is that we need to do to care for our bodies in order to stay healthy. Um, and all of that doesn't mean it isn't true. We do have to have good food. There, there is some, there's some variation, but there is also some objective definitions about what good food is. And there is, we do need to have good sleep and we do need to have safe places to live and, mm. and, we do need to have time to care even for our skin. Like, yeah. just like just like animals, you know, take care of their fur and everything. We also just need to take care of our skin. Yeah. And and it isn't just to stay pretty according to whatever culture tells us it is. It is literally like to care for the function of the body in all the different ways. Yeah. It can also happen that someone is dealing with chronic illness or, you know, a severe issue and they, they go ahead and they give it a shot. They try some herbal tincture that they heard about. They say, "All right, I'm going to take a week, and I'm going to I'm going to eat really clean, whatever definition they're using mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the moment for that, right? And then be a little disappointed when it doesn't turn everything around. So the note here is that even if these things, quote unquote, don't work, you know, or 
don't cause a kind of miracle shift, that doesn't mean that they're not necessary, right? These habits are not magic bullets to solve all your problems. They're the foundations that the rest mm-hmm. of the work is going to be built on. Um, and so, I, oh, Sorry to jump in, but I just want to be kind of really overt about a time frame and about what does and doesn't work. I mean, any given tincture maybe doesn't, like feels like it doesn't work and that might be because it was not the right set of herbs for the situation. Like that is of course always a possibility. Um, but it also might just be that a week wasn't long enough or that's true with any of these other interventions as well, or all of them, um, like changing food for a week. Well, it may be that a week wasn't long enough. And I really want to put that in context because, um, I have MS kind of not now. <laughs> you, kind of, you, had it. You, I, you, you have been at one point in your life diagnosed. Diagnosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was fairly acute at the time of diagnosis, but now um, I really don't have much in the way of symptoms, very, very minor symptoms that are, are easily manageable. And when I started implementing changes, I, I don't, I never have been medicated because I was diagnosed when I was pregnant. Um, and then I breastfed and I, so I couldn't take medications and I couldn't wait until I was done with all that to make some changes. Um, so, uh, all of like, I, I had to find some kind of options. So the stuff that I did as like interventions started making a change very quickly. Um, in weeks, in months, in the first year, I saw lots and lots of changes and lots and lots of improvement. And I would say that after the first year, I thought, wow, I, I'm done. <laughs> I, I did it. This is great. Um, but I just continued to do those things habitually um, and to expand and, and sort of adapt to how my body was feeling with my approaches. And um, when I came to the 10 year mark, which was 10 years ago, um, I can remember having like a whole long series of discussions with you about like, holy cow, I'm 10 years out and I feel very different, like mm. even very different than I felt one year out. Mm. Um, like it really, I could see continued shifts in my body over 10 years. And I think that it is important to normalize that. Um, or at least to publicize that, that, that I don't want ever, anybody to feel like discouraged, like, well, if I don't have 10 years to spend getting better, I guess I just won't get better. Like, I don't mean it that way. Yeah. Things improved even in the first month, but I kept seeing changes in myself 10 years out. And then the second round of 10 years, um, did some back and forth because lots of stressful things happened in that second 10 years. And so there was some regression and then some advancement and, you know, different things. But even the regression was like much smaller than it would have been in the first decade. So you still see, I mean, life still happens, but you still see this progression. And anyway, mm-hmm. I just want to be clear. It is, it never is that like, I'll just take a week and try something. If it didn't work, well, I guess it just didn't work. I guess that wasn't the thing that I needed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it gets even more extreme and it's like, well, herbs don't work at all. <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. point in trying any of these holistic methods or, or whatever. And that narrative is really, I, I'm noticing or thinking today, it's actually kind of rooted in and it perpetuates the mainstream medical model that that we have in this society, right? Which in the shortest version is like a like a programmer's if-then statement, you know, <laughs> if illness, then drug, else, nothing. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe surgery. Yeah. I don't know. That's sort of the end of the line, you know? Yeah. And, and there's a, a version of that too in sort of like alternative health world, which is like if severe illness, then extreme treatments, you know, intense cleanse or something like that. Like super herb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And neither of those are the model that, that we take. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's important to recognize also as we're talking about things, things continue to change over, over decades is also like, or, or like if it doesn't work in a week, then I guess it just wasn't going to work. Mm. Another pl- direction that can go in is if it doesn't, if it doesn't work in a week, then I guess natural approaches aren't going to work for me and all there is for me is pharmaceuticals. And that's also not like, yeah. it takes both sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you you have to do a lot of that foundational work of recovering all of that care that that wasn't happening early in your life, earlier in your life, because people were depending on you for their like survival. Like you had to provide food for people and, and work really harder. Like all those things, none of this is about like, why didn't you take care of yourself? It is about the situations that our culture creates that makes it extremely difficult to take care of ourselves. Um, and so it, it might be that, that a person needs all that foundational care of the body with holistic, natural, you know, normal everyday kinds of strategies. And they also need some sort of conventional medical intervention. And that conventional medical intervention can be much more successful if a person is doing all the work on the foundational things. I mean, a lot of times people try conventional medicine interventions and they don't work. And sometimes that's because it wasn't going to work. And sometimes that's because the body wasn't strong enough to do you know, the medicine was going to do part of the job and the body needed to do the other part of the job, but the body wasn't strong enough to do it. And mm. yeah. Right. 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 I feel like I have like this flow chart of like yeah. many, <laughs> and I, I'm not sure that this is really like easy to explain verbally, but hopefully you're seeing that flow chart of like many possible options in your head too. And, right. um, in, in, yeah. including people who are in, in one of these kind of health situations and have tried a lot of stuff and have tried it you know, uh, full on, you know, they've, they've done the whole 30, they've done the 10 hours of time in bed at night for a month or more. They've done this and that, um, and may still be feeling frustrated, Mm -hmm. maybe may still be feeling like, uh, you know, is this actually worth it? And our largest contention here is that it is worth it because in the end you're a mammal, bro. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, these things aren't actually optional, even though most of our society treats them as if they were. Or even worse, treats them as if they were a luxury, right? Yeah. And so that brings us into the other reality that we're coping with here is that so much of this, and by that I mean like holistic interventions and community growth and all this other stuff. Listen, even just calling it a holistic intervention is like abstracting it. It's like, it's Mm. not even like, is it a holistic intervention when your cat cleans its paws? No, (laughs) it's your cat just cleaning its paws. Mm. Like... And so we don't have a word for that. Like care of self is already a luxury term, especially if it is in the reverse, self-care. And holistic intervention or holistic strategy, all those things also automatically sort of sound to us like luxury things. Yeah, it's true. And so I like, I don't know how to phrase it, that it is like non-negotiable mandatory care of the body. Right. And but, but, you know, what's what's going on, though, is that the, the reality that we're coping with here is that so much of that isn't accessible to people or it doesn't feel accessible or they're not they're not aware of the ways in which it might be 
you know, um, and so the... Or they didn't learn how to do it because we also don't teach people how to do it. Right. Yeah. So there's lots of reasons for this and none of them are probably going to be surprising to our audience. <laughs> right. Like people might not have access to these things or, or knowledge about them because of the effects of racism, because of wealth inequalities, because they live in a food desert or a medicine desert, mm -hmm. uh, because they're in a grayscape situation where there's not really any living plants around. And so it's hard to seek shade and to seek nature immersion and forest bathing and all of that. Yeah, it's just like concrete everywhere. You know? Yeah. And then there's also issues with displacement, and that, that can include cultural loss, you know? So if people are, uh, you know, displaced from their home because of war, because of climate change, because of wars that are due to climate change. You know, <laughs> because uh, of historical factors like slavery. Yeah. yeah. All of that, then, that, that can include displacement from a land, and a place where there are familiar foods and herbs and medicines and things like that. Uh, and it can also include displacement from a cultural practice, mm -hmm. you know, where those things are intentionally or, you know, uh, systemically suppressed. Right. Um, and like cultural wisdom about how to live. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How, how to be a human. Right. Cats get cultural wisdom about how to be a cat, right? About how to clean their paws. Mama cats, like, lick them vigorously until they start and they and then they practice and they lick each other and you know like whatever and, the, and they learn how to be a cat that way but like when we are displaced from our culture um we no longer learn how how to be a cat and i think also that one thing that we didn't list in there will kind of is also like capitalism and yeah that also goes Which is back... like a driver of so many of other of these things, of wealth inequality, of food deserts, of, you know. Yeah. And and I think this is also, you know, I I when we think about displacement, often we think about um racism and systemic oppression and, and slavery and um wars of exploitation. But also there are a lot of people of European descent who on one hand, I mean we got here by colonizing. And so it's kind of hard to say that there's displacement because that, that puts people of European descent in, in sort of the writ large in the power position. And yet people of European descent were also displaced and, and got to America and like on one hand, yay, the melting pot. But what that really <laughs> was, was we're taking away all culture. And a lot of that also was happening in Europe and it was driven by capitalism. And I mean, capitalism far back, like f even feudal capitalism, you know, yeah. like every generation just stripping away a little bit more, a little bit more cultural wisdom. Um, and so like, I just want to, I just want to say that, you know, displacement can happen even for populations that are benefiting from systemic racism, just right. in different ways. And yeah. that is what got us to Oreos and Doritos. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Colonization harms most of the people involved. Yes. Right? Like 98, 99% <laughs> yeah, of the Yeah, a percentage involved. at the top yeah. gets very, very rich. <laughs> right. And uh, the rest of us get Oreos and Doritos if we're lucky and systemic oppression otherwise. Yeah. So these are, these are like systemic factors that take away accessibility to holistic lifestyle interventions, you know, to these practices for self-care. Um, and then there are also individual factors too, right? Um, so the way that all those systemic factors influence one person, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, and then like we raised before, you know, illnesses, 
Um, and especially the chronic fatigue syndromes, plural, right? Like nowadays we would have to include uh, ME slash CFS, right? Sort of like chronic fatigue classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now also like long COVID uh, is not exactly the same, but shares many similar expressions. Um, and long COVID has been a way for a lot of people who aren't like virologists or pathologists to start to understand that there are many other long syndromes like you know long flu you know, yes as a, as a very common example for instance you know. even now ms is you know oh is this long epstein bar you know right. that kind of thing long mono I, I think also to look at like chronic fatigue as me slash cfs um you see that often written that way but also fatigue that is chronic right and so that could be let's say somebody with fibromyalgia um, they may not be diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, but they have fatigue that is chronic because it is exhausting to be in pain all of the time. Totally. And so often we're working with people who are not diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And even if you ask them, do you have chronic fatigue syndrome? They would not, they would, they themselves would not necessarily um, identify with that uh, diagnosis. And yet chronically they are fatigued. Yeah, right. And I think that, the issues around chronic fatigue syndrome and the name of chronic fatigue syndrome and people thinking that like, well, that's not really an illness. You're just tired, take a nap, um, is like, first off, that kind of judgment is not useful and also not accurate. Yeah. But, uh, but they, people with that diagnosis have had to fight so hard to have that fatigue recognized as, Hey, it is not just a nap that I need. And then, also recognizing that just dealing with a chronic illness in general makes you super tired in a way that also is not just take a nap. Yeah. And that that is also valid. Fatigue that is chronic, that is not necessarily chronic fatigue syndrome is still a thing that needs to be dealt with. That is still a problem yeah. that is real and you are not imagining it. Yeah. But this kind of exhaustion or this ongoing pain, you know, these kind of issues that can really make a lot of the, the holistic herbalist's methods kind of difficult uh, because so much of it is going to be rooted in regimen and like building daily habits and making some changes to what your existing habits have been and that takes energy, you know? Um, so that can make it, that can be like a, a personal level difficulty there too. But with all of this, we're not going to just throw up our hands and be like, oh well, too bad for you. Like, I'm sorry, but I can't actually help you very much because you don't have enough money to afford my herbs or because you don't have enough time in your day to get in an extra nap or to take a walk uh, at lunchtime or other things like that. Or because there's no Whole Foods where you live. <laughs> yeah. And we also can't just avoid the topic entirely and be like, well, I know that this person doesn't really have a lot of resources and, you know, they're, they're pretty tired. So I'm just going to not bring up the stuff that I think would help, but I've decided in advance is going to be too hard for them. Right. That's also yeah. a way to like take power away from someone, you know, yeah. and we're not into that. So I would say that the whole rest of everything we're going to talk about is going to fall under the sort of little motto of that as a, this is not going to be a very graceful motto. I'm sure we could do it in fewer words. Um, that is my middle name. I'm sure we could do it in fewer words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that as a clinical herbalist, it is not just our job to say, to like match up the right herbs to the person. It is not just our job to match up the right other strategies of care of self to the person and what they need in that situation right now. Yep. But it is also our job to, to use our energy and our resources 
to creatively build accessibility. And we're going to talk about ways to do that. But I just want to be really clear that like our job does not stop when we come up with the perfect herbal formula and a gluten-free diet. Like, <laughs> like that's not the work. That work, you know, that work is important, but that is, that is literally, okay, great. We figured that out. Now we got to figure out how to do it. And it is the how to do it part that is the real work. Like yeah. that creativity that's where the job starts. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a pile of recommendations here. Um, we can start with like literal affordability, you know, money-wise kind of stuff, because that is a barrier for so many folks and, and because that emerges out of so many of those systemic problems, right? So some recommendations around, around this. First off, trying to keep what you recommend as an herbalist, what you recommend to other people, to keep that inexpensive, to keep that as accessible as you can. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of ways to do that. One of our favorites is to just focus a lot on grocery store herbs over exotic plants or rare ones or ones that might be local but are still really expensive to work with. You can do so much work with the stuff at the grocery store. Like parsley. You can do so much work with parsley for a dollar a day. Um, And like literally, if all I had to work with was parsley, I, I could do a lot. Parsley, garlic, citrus fruits, ginger, you know. There's so much there. The cranberries, the, you know, any berries, the, (laughs) even if they're frozen, like fresh berries are more expensive. Okay. But frozen berries are less expensive. And even if your grocery store doesn't have like those fancy little plastic boxes of fresh herbs in the like, (laughs) you know, the tiny little boxes, like it doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about beets. We're talking about garlic and turmeric and yeah right, yeah and this goes right along with food recommendations too right you don't want to end up in a spot where the you find yourself making recommendations to people that are only accessible if they make sixty thousand dollars a year you know yeah. uh you you want to be able to say like all right we can make some really healthy meals for you that are going to fit into your budget this is an exercise we give to all of our students who are who are working up to clinical practice is like okay make a protocol in sort of the ideal world where the person can get whatever they want and money and time and space are no object. Mm -hmm. And then let's start adding in some constraints, right? And working up to where you're making a project like this for someone who is chronically ill and has limited resources, Mm -hmm. right? And to see what that does to your, to your recommendations and the kind of creativity that, 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 that trains you to, to keep in in the front of your mind, you know? Um, this is, if you work with people, this is an exercise that we recommend all of, to, to everyone, everyone, is that go through your cases or imagine some cases, also fine, and come up with what you want or look at what you recommended and then go read the SNAP guidelines and the WIC guidelines because that's food assistance that, that people get and learn them and really study them. And then look at what you, like, print them out. Put them right there. You know, what are they allowed to buy? How much are they allowed to spend? How much do they get in benefits? All that kind of stuff. Or if it's WIC, what are they given? What things are they allowed to have? Um, Because WIC is much more limited in exactly the products that you can have access to. Um, And then look at what your protocol was 
and make it fit into those guidelines and do the work. And you do this like, you know, on a Tuesday evening when you're not seeing clients and it's quiet and you're, you know, you got, you know you're having tea and you've got a long time to really work through this because it takes a while to get good at it. Mm-hmm. Work through what you want a person to do, what it is that you want to recommend to somebody and then look at what these guidelines are and, and what your hypothetical person would have access to and then ch- keep changing your protocol until you come up with something that is just as good as your ideal dream protocol, but completely fits into the context of SNAP or WIC or whatever they have access to. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, it you know, you've got to be thinking about that, right? So like SNAP, the electronic benefit transfer that's something people can use at a grocery store. They can use it at farmer's markets. And sometimes you'll get like two for one, uh, dollar mm-hmm. for dollar um, mm-hmm. uh, that way uh, in, or in that context. And even Amazon, um, you know, you can you can set up your, your SNAP uh, EBT benefits there and you can order some herbs that way. The thing is, the thing is that you have to be careful because some things are not covered by SNAP. Right. And so sometimes that is herbs. You have to really look carefully about like, well, are they allowed to get fresh garlic with SNAP? Or are they allowed to get this pretty good quality tea bag tea? Maybe it's like traditional medicinals. Mm. Well, are they or are they not? You have to check the the different variations of SNAP and WIC and all that stuff to figure out what the person actually has access to. Because sometimes, um, you know, I mean, our, these programs help people and that's important but our country is partly made up of people who want to help people and partly made up of people who don't want to help people. And there's that constant tension between these two groups. And so there's a lot of constraint and a lot of judgment. Like, well, we say you can have this, but we say you can't have that. And that makes us feel like we're making you be responsible for your poverty or whatever. And it's just, okay, we that could be its whole own podcast episode. Yeah. But... Um, and so it is It is that battle that drives whether or not somebody with SNAP benefits is allowed to buy fresh garlic. And yeah. so when you, when you are doing this exercise, you might think, well, of course they can have garlic. But depending on what type of benefits they get, it might not cover garlic. And so you just, you really do have to read all the, all the intricacies of it and then um, do that exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Really worth doing. Um, right along with this, you want to be thinking about what are the actual herbs that you're focused on or that you're recommending, you know, and it's really good to consider inexpensive analogs for more expensive herbs, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, first off, just building your practice around plants that are abundant, that are easily accessible, that are grocery store plants or that are weeds or that you just know people are going to have an easy time finding and not going to have to spend a ton of money on. That's Mm -hmm. great. But you can also explicitly look at some of the more expensive plants that you work with, and you can say, what, what would be an alternative? So I checked on a couple of prices today. Um, so at Mountain Rose Herbs today, if you want to go and buy uh, Asian ginseng root, whole roots, that's about $231 per pound. Which, by the way, is a fair price, and we are not complaining about that price. Nope. Just it's not accessible to a lot of people. Yep. On the other hand, farmers need a living wage. And yep. so like there's tension there too. Yeah, this right? plant's complicated to grow. It, you know, it takes a lot of whatever. It's worth that much, right? But $231 a pound for that uh, versus eleuthero root uh, cut and sifted for $17 a pound. Mm. It's a pretty big difference. <laughs> and you can do a lot of the same work 
with those with Eleuthera that you can do with with ginseng. Right. Yeah, and you can also draw on your formulation knowledge and be like, okay, Eleuthera was not exactly ginseng, but if I formulate a couple of other plants into there, then it can be just as good for my particular purposes, mm -hmm. right? Because, of course, we don't just pick ginseng. We say ginseng is chosen because of this set of actions, these effects that it can have. Eleuthero can be a direct analog for a lot of those and a, and a mostly full analog for the rest of them, you know? So we can find ways to fit that in. It's always you who remembers podcasts that we've done in the past that are relevant. But today I remember one. It's a very early one. Um, I don't remember the number, but... I think the title was Formulating for Absent Friends or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was where we had run out of chamomile. And so um, Rin was formulating plants to do all the work that chamomile does for me. And I think we also talked about Tulsi, Tulsi. in that episode. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can go back and listen to that one. And um, it's pretty early. I don't know. It's like maybe 17 or 25 or somewhere around in there. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then just replicate that exercise for any herb that you either just happen to run out of or an expensive herb that you need those actions and how can you reformulate to get those actions with less expensive plants. Right. Just because I have it here, one other example. If you want to buy golden seal root cut and sifted, that's like roughly $416 per pound. Again, appropriate. <laughs> that plant is at risk and endangered. Yeah. Uh, or you can get powder for $30 an ounce. Uh, that's cool. But we could get barberry, and we could get that cut and sifted for $33 a pound, as opposed to 416 right? Or we can get powder for about 3 bucks an ounce, right? So somewhere between one-tenth of the cost mm -hmm. and uh, some other factor that's larger than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, again, these are just a couple examples, but you can apply that to, to a lot of herbs, mm -hmm. and, and you can be thinking about it. Because the, the thought here is like, not just can my client afford this, you know, from me, if I'm going to custom formulate for them right now and give them a two-week supply, but what happens next? You know, right. what happens down the line? Right. Yeah. Even if you're like, I will just give them some right now. Okay. But yeah, next month. Yeah. Um, another thing that we can do to try to keep the costs down, specifically for the herbs themselves, is to find ways to minimize waste, right? And so um, one one example, a super simple one, is just... Hey, when you brew your tea and then you, you know, you, you pour it out or you strain it out, you can pour more hot water on those same herbs and brew it again. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially always worth doing. Right. You might not get 100% of the action that you got from the first batch, but what if you got 60%? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. There's almost always something left behind. You know, even if you mm -hmm. make a tincture, uh, you could take the mark after you press that out. You've got your good tincture over here. You've got this plant matter. You could just compost it. Or you could say, well, I'm going to throw it into a pot. I'm going to make a decoction of it mm -hmm. and just try to get the, the last bits, the last, the rest of the good stuff. Yeah. You know, this is like use the whole beast, but for herbs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right, right. Yeah. I want to back up one second because um, I was saying like, even if you're just going to give it to someone for free, like you're like, yeah, but I really want them to have this very expensive herb. So I'll just give it them to them for free. That is awesome and admirable. But it isn't just what are they going to do next month. It's also what are you going to do that next month? Because what if your situation changes and now you don't have the resources to do that anymore? Um, right. It, it doesn't mean you should never give somebody a, an expensive <laughs> thing. Like, obviously, if you can do that, that's fantastic. If that was a rule, we would break it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we would break that all the time. But, um, but 
being able to make that adaptation is not just about sustainability for your clients, but also sustainability for you. So if you have it to give, fantastic. But when you don't, um, or even if you do, still let them know what the alternative, more sustainable, like more cost-effective version would be, both so that you are ready with that information if you're gonna continue to support this person into the future, but also so that they have the information in case they don't want to be continued to be supported in the future. They would rather do it on their own. Nice. One thing that I find helpful in this regard is to to keep um, like a, a handful or a, a whole book, you know, <laughs> of, of formula, uh, formulae, formulas, formulae. Ha- however you prefer to say that, yeah. <laughs> um, that are, we call them the cheap best, right? Because they're the cheapest, but they're also the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, like the... You know, you can make your fire cider and you can you can make an expensive fire cider if you decide to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You can make it super duper fancy. You can put in some really great honey, you know, you can put it like all this different stuff. But you can also make like your cheap best fire cider with just garlic, onion, horseradish, and some vinegar. You don't even need the honey. Mm-hmm. You know, like your goal here is I want this to fire you up, clear those sinuses, you know, wake up the immunity in the lungs. Mm-hmm. This will do it, no doubt. And it'll be super cheap. Right. And you can make enormous batches of it and it can be a community event and whatever else you could do it at the beginning of the fall. And even for enormous batches, this is still going to be a very accessible cost. Yeah. Or, you know, you can buy super fancy adaptogen coffee powder mixes that are instant and this and that, or, you you know, and they've got rhodiola and they've got ginseng extract and whatever, or you can take some eleuthero and some astragalus mm-hmm. and some maybe dandelion root if you're into that mm-hmm. and a little bit of decaf and you can throw them in a pot and cook them up and you'll get a lot of the same type of benefit from it, yeah. you know, which will spend yeah. so much less. Yeah. So, you know, think about that. Think about if you have formulas or like schema for formulas, it's not like always made the same way, but the general idea is there. Like the way that you always make your elderberry syrup or the way that you always make whatever it happens to be, what your, your like favorite winter health formula, whatever it is. Yeah. Look at them, look at the costs, look at the ingredients, see if there's ways that you can reduce costs without compromising, you know, on everything. Right, right. Without compromising is key, but it is so possible to do. Yeah. Yeah. When we think about getting the most bang for the buck, sometimes we realize that it's not all about herbs, you know, but it could be about the four pillars of good health, right? Food Mm. and sleep hygiene and movement and walking around and stress management and that kind of thing. Uh, because in so many cases, we find that eliminating gluten could be more impactful than drinking some gut heal tea, mm-hmm. even though it is better to do both. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, but you sort of can um, like prioritize it. Like, what is going to give me the most action? And that prioritization might change depending on the situation. Yeah. Um, like if a person is n- neither willing nor able to give up gluten. And listen, just because a person stops eating gluten does not mean that they need to spend $9 a loaf for some kind of gluten-free bread. Mm-hmm. Rice is gluten-free. Um, and it's not as fun to eat as bread, but hey, actually, rice is... I, I, I don't eat rice very often because, it, uh, you know, I, I try not to eat too many carbs um, at my age, but it's delicious. I do like it quite a bit. Yeah. So, so you know, there, there are many different hierarchies of prioritization in terms of both cost in dollars and cost in everything else 
because maybe the cost in dollars for gluten-free is manageable, but the cost emotionally was maybe not manageable, in which case, okay, maybe the tea is better, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, but like imagine somebody who's a little anxious, a little, maybe they're, they're uh, a little tired in the latter half of the day, um, you know, they're, and that makes them feel like more unsettled and, mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. Uh, and what they, what they describe that as is like, I've got a lot of stress. So if we just respond to, oh, stress, let me give you adaptogens. Okay, that's one thing. But what if we help them to get better sleep by working on some sleep hygiene habits and mm-hmm. giving them a, a simple bedtime tincture, right? Maybe the amount of actual like herb expense there is going to be reduced just from which herbs we're choosing for, mm-hmm. for sleep aids versus adaptogens. Um, and also like the amount that you might take. Like if you want to help that person out just with the adaptogens, you're going to need a lot of herbs. Yeah. You're going to need high doses. Um, some of them could be expensive, uh, expensive plants to work with. Um, and it could be, again, more bang for the buck, uh, less expensive, more effective f- to focus on the sleep piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, seeing the whole person. Or another way you could go in that example would be instead of the adaptogen blend, which most of the adaptogens are like more expensive on the scale of, of price, herb prices, um, what about nettle? Uh, because another factor in anxiety is minerals. Uh, your body uses up minerals very quickly under stress and minerals help you to stay calm. Many minerals, like some minerals help regulate your heartbeat so that things stay steady and calm. Some regulate the way that your nerves function so that again, they stay calm. There's like a lot of different factors across minerals. Well, nettles has a lot. Seaweed has a lot. Mm. And so those are two things that can be much less expensive, especially much less expensive than adaptogens. And so if you were like, okay, well, yes, getting better sleep would be the best option here maybe in terms of it's cheapest, but that's not available to this person because it is not affordable in their schedule or in their list of obligations and responsibilities. And therefore going to go with this adaptogen tea, except that's going to be very expensive. Ah, nettles and seaweed. Okay. Now we've got, right. Okay. That's yeah. Done. Yeah. We're going to see how that goes out. So, you know, as, as the clinical herbalist here, it's our job to get creative about how to make these things accessible for someone mm-hmm. because they may not have the energy or the time or the resources to do that part of the work for themselves. Yeah. It's not like, here's my suggestion, pat, 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 have a good life. <laughs> like, good luck with that. Go figure out how that works for you. No, it's more yeah. like, all right, so let's figure out how that can work for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to leave them hanging. And you, know, you were just kind of really raising this next point, which is that budgeting is not only about money, it's also about time and about energy, mm-hmm. you know? So like we said before, yeah, money-wise, can your client afford the herbs or the remedies or the the food products on the new diet plan or whatever? Not just once, but long-term, long mm-hmm. enough to do the job. That's that's a, a core concern. But not just money, right? We're going to budget time realistically. So do right. they have time to do the protocol? <laughs> right. If you're going to change the diet and even they're like up for it, they're like, sure, who needs bread? Okay, but now they're going to need to cook for themselves and maybe they don't have the time to do that. Uh, yeah. Right. So then, well, okay, do you have to be there for the entire time that cooking is happening? Or can we draw on the magic of the crockpot? Yeah. <laughs> right? So sometimes it's it's little life hacks, whatever, little things like that, <laughs> right? That can, that can take an idea from, yeah, that sounds good, but I have no idea how I'm going to make it real to, oh, right, I could 
I can do that in the morning and then it's dinner when I get home. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, so we're, we're always looking for those kinds of, of ways to help people out. With time, we're thinking also about the time to do the protocol day to day and the time for it to take effect, you know, and does that match up with what this person needs uh, in terms of restoring, restoring their health? Right. If they're experiencing a really acute situation, then uh, something that takes a month or two to kick in, that's an herb that takes a month or two to kick in, might be fantastic. But that's going to mean a month or two more of whatever that acute pain or, or whatever it is. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't do that long-term item. Maybe you can still do that. But also let's look at a shorter-term item that is going to make an impact and like move the needle for them. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you can never underestimate how much energy it takes to be in pain mm-hmm. or how much energy it takes to have anxiousness yeah. um, or sadness or grief or like a lot of emotions require a great deal of energy and pain requires a great deal of energy. And so if we can, alleviate a little bit of that, even if it's only 25%, mm-hmm. that's 25% more energy for that person. Okay. It's not like a one-to-one whatever, but you know, like, you get the idea. Uh, and then that boost of energy might be enough to take the next step that could get them a 40% improvement in mm-hmm. whatever, you know, like nothing has to be, and this is good because also things are not, nothing has to be the single magic thing that solves all the problems. We're talking holistically also, when we're talking about anything at all, ever, everything is an incremental improvement. It's like, okay, well, this will get me 10%. This will get me another five. This will get me 20%. Fantastic. This will, and we're building on each one of those. That's the end of my sentence. Yeah. sounded like there was a comma there, but there wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, with, with energy, it's like with time, right? Is this achievable daily? Okay, we've got the time to do it, but am I going to collapse halfway through, you know, mm-hmm. what, I, what I was planning? So in that regard, one of the things we find most helpful is to make a stripped down, like essentials protocol for the rough days, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we know that this is a day when you only have two spoons. Okay, these are the things you're going to do with them, right? Yeah. And that's all, right? You're not going to try to do more than that because that can burn you out further than where you started the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to give special acknowledgement here to movement when mm-hmm. we're talking about budgeting mm-hmm. energy. A lot of people who would genuinely benefit from more movement have been given a lot of advice that is inappropriate for the chronic condition that they're managing. Several different kinds of inappropriate. Right. You know, like right. in, different, in different directions. And so maybe mm-hmm. that person was told, you need graded exercise therapy, or you need this, or you need that. Or maybe they simply were told, you need to exercise more and you'll feel better. And... There are a lot of physiological reasons that moving your body will help you feel better, even if we just start at the very basic of lymphatic function. But I just feel like, especially when we're talking about people with limited energy resources, it's so important to say, listen, this could mean walking to the bathroom one extra time today. It could mean like laying flat on your back in bed and I'm thinking specifically of people who are dealing with POTS for example and maybe like standing up and moving around gets them really dizzy movement in your bed is still movement if you are just rolling back and forth or waving your arms in the air or wiggling your toes or whatever like it doesn't have to be and now I'm gonna get on the peloton I'm gonna ride for whatever like Mm, yeah it 
any movement is movement. And so um, really tailoring movement to the amount of energy that's going on and emphasizing very clearly that the purpose of movement is not because you're building muscle or because you're this or because you're, you're, you're getting pumped or whatever. It, and it isn't to add on the miles or any of those things. It is to increase lymphatic flow. And subtle movements even will do that. That also was the end of my sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> Not right. a comma. I just right. was really on a roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're thinking about all of that. And, you know, those, those two considerations around time and energy, they come in to the realities about wildcrafting and gardening your own herbs. Mm -hmm. Because so often we see people who are like, I'm going to talk about how to do herbalism on a budget. You can go out and you can harvest all your own plants. They're free if you find the right place. You can grow a whole bunch for yourself. It'll be easy. You'll have a ton of ton of herbs in no time. Yeah, not really. Not for most people, right? You got to think about, okay, I'm going to go out and harvest my plants in, in the wild. Where am I going to go to? How am I going to get there? How am I going to carry everything I need with me? And then how am I going to get it all home again? How am I going to get it home in time to make sure I process the medicine before things wilt or go bad or aren't effective anymore. Oh, but what uh, if I ran out of energy like before I even got home and then now I have all these fresh plants and they're sitting on the counter because I need two days to recover from how much energy it took to go out and harvest them in the hot sun. Yeah. That is a situation that happens very often and it is not reasonable for that person to, okay. Yeah. So at the very least considering like, okay, how easy is the herb to harvest, right? How easy is it to process? Like if on the one hand you're talking about, well, I've got you know, on the porch, I've got this bucket and there's some mugwort growing in it. And I know I can just clip the stalk, grab it up here, strip all the leaves off. They're ready to go. I can tincture it. I can throw it in the dehydrator. Mm -hmm. That's done. Versus I'm going to go out to that piece of land over there. I'm going to hike up a bit. I'm going to go to that big burdock patch and I'm going to dig out some burdock roots. <laughs> that'll, that'll probably only take two minutes or so per root. So I can probably do like 20 or 30. Yeah. No, that won't happen at all. <laughs> like you'll be there all day for one burdock root and it, it it's, it, yeah. So, it's so hard to dig burdock root. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we're not even talking about like, okay, now I'm going to harvest bark and I'm going to strip off the layers. And okay. So, you know, there's a lot of, like, I think, over promising <laughs> in terms of what you can quote, get for free mm -hmm. uh, through, through wildcrafting. And also it wasn't free anyway. Like there's so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that... And, and, you know, similar for gardening, right? Like, okay, well, what are you starting from? Have you got a garden already? Have you got a raised bed and it's good to go? You're just going to drop seeds? Uh, it, are they seeds you can just drop and forget about? You know, what, what are we actually dealing with here? How often do you need to be there? How much do you need to water? You know, all of that. Um, so that's like some things that could get in the way. It doesn't mean that none of this can be done at all, right? There are some plants that it is pretty easy to wildcraft like mugwort. That's a, a simple example, mm -hmm. right? There's plants that it's easy to garden, you know, again, like mugwort or fleabane, something like that. Yeah. Evening primrose. Yeah. They'll basically grow themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, you have a bucket. The plant is in the bucket. It's going to grow. It's going to be fine. You don't have to water it. You don't have to whatever. You it's can harvest it on the day you get around to it, you know? Yeah. So we're really big advocates for gardening your weeds <laughs> Yeah. Um, and for bucket gardens on the porches and stuff like that. Listen, garden dandelions yeah. it's the seeds the seeds are everywhere they're everywhere you just go get the little you know like a little kid and you blow the seeds except don't blow them take them home 
to whatever bucket or garden space you've got available and just put the seeds right there and now you have dandelions. Yeah. Yeah. But again, this is not like a, a quick fix for somebody who needs herbs soon. This mm-hmm. is not a quick fix for somebody to have all the herbs they're ever going to need, you know, cheap and free and easy. Um, there's a there's a lot of investment <laughs> and in time and energy and and all of that in this in these kinds of practices. So just want to get a little reality check on that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for people who are abled and have never experienced chronic illness and have never experienced chronic pain, any of those things. Um, it can be hard to understand what life is really like. And if you don't, then it's very hard to calibrate your recommendations. Right. And so it's very important for you to, if, if that has, has been your life so far, and just because it's been your life so far doesn't mean that it will always be your life. Um, you know, anybody yeah. can become disabled at any time. Um, but uh, if that has been your life so far, then there are ways to get more perspective. And one way that I appreciate that is even though Twitter is kind of, you know, dying some weird kind of death right now, Um, It has always been a really good source um, for me following disability advocates, because even though, yes, I have MS and yes, I have dealt with this chronic illness, um, that's just my own experience. And I have wanted to have a broader understanding of other experiences. Mm -hmm. And so reading other people's um, explanations of their life, especially in a place like Twitter, where they are sharing this information publicly so that other people can read it instead of like just going up to a friend of yours that, you know, has a chronic illness and saying, tell me about your life. Like, okay, now you're just putting the expense of your education on them um, or the energy of your education on them. But, um, and so that is one way and that way might resonate with you, but um, perhaps another way that might resonate with you is uh, why not do a super hard workout every day for a week. I mean, like really hard at the absolute of your limit and then stay up all night. And then on that next day, uh, try to do the things that you told somebody to do and see if those are easy or hard for you. Like, okay, that's not necessarily gonna give you exactly their experience, but you will be tired and you will be sore and you will be cranky and it, it isn't a perfect analog, but it is a way to start to feel in your body, oh, hmm. I'm kind of getting that actually, like I have never experienced needing to just sit down in the middle of a task before because I just was too tired or too like fuddled in my mind or whatever else. But after three days running 15 miles a day, and like hoisting rocks over my head and then staying up all night long and then trying to do these things. I told somebody, I realized, actually, it's really hard to go out and dig roots when you're really sore and tired. You know, like if that's what it takes for you to get the perspective, do that because that, that is going to make you a better herbalist. It's going to, it's going to make you a better helper of people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, kind of the last main main idea for us today is going to be about improving access to herbalism in general, to clinical herbal services uh, in particular, and to community support. Because one individual against the world is in the hardest spot. You know, like there's there's no real lone wolf among wolves, let alone humans. 
Yeah, okay. yeah, that whole lone wolf, wolf thing is not actually real. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, or another way to put it is like an actual lone wolf is having a really bad time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like all those, you can read about this if you um, like Google something like lone wolf myth or there right. is no alpha wolf or something like that. Um, because all of that was observed. It, some of those behaviors were observed scientifically, but they were observed um of wolves in captivity who were experiencing great hardship and the pack was not healthy and so what was being observed was actual like emergency behaviors instead of like natural behaviors right yeah like worst case scenario behaviors right yeah so one person alone uh in the world or against the world is in a really hard spot a community together is healthier Right. So we often talk about the four pillars of good health as food and sleep and movement and stress management or mitigation. But then we'll sometimes add in, oh, yeah, don't forget the fifth pillar. That's community. (laughs) Right. Because otherwise, without community, you're doing all of this on your own. Right. You're responsible for all of your own food. You're responsible for all of your own herbal remedies. You're responsible for getting you around from place to place, you know. And there are a lot of people who are in that situation and that's a hard spot, but they don't have to stay alone forever. Right. And again, as an herbalist, you know, like it's good to have a referral list. It's good to be able to say like, here's a pharmacist who's not, uh, uh, <laughs> here's a pharmacist who will be easy to work with. There we go. Here's a, you know, here... a psychiatrist, you know, I think you should maybe talk to them, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Like on one hand, a list of conventional medical practitioners who are going to be sympathetic to the goals that your clients might have, or the people that you're working with might have, but also, um, and sympathetic to their preferences and how they want to work with those things. But then also, that's not, not the only kind of referral list that you might have. What about a referral list for social activities? You know, like, keep a list of where are the adult dance classes? Where are the adult art classes? Where are, like different activities happening that somebody can just go to and maybe meet some people that, okay, maybe the first one they go to isn't going to be the one that is ultimately great for them. But where are things that are accessible, both financially and within their energy level and other things, you know, in their time or, or whatever, if they have kids that need childcare or, or something, mm. is there a YMCA around? Is there this or that? Where are things where people can plug themselves in they've been alone for a long time maybe and and they need a referral like it's what i'm trying to say is that it's not easy to make friends as an adult yeah and so keep not only a referral list of practitioners who could be helpful but also keep a referral list of places you can go to make friends and be with people right yeah and then right near that also you know support groups or volunteer organizations community kitchens, um, community pantries, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, it's about getting to know your community um, or to help people to explore their community, right? Like if you're going to do clinical sessions with people online, maybe they're far away from you, but that doesn't have to stop you from learning something about where they live and what's available and you know what kind of services they might not have thought to look about, thought to ask for, mm-hmm. thought that they deserved or qualified for. That's a that's a big one for a yeah. lot of people. Um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm struggling, but other people have it worse, so I shouldn't go to the food pantry or I shouldn't go to the support group or whatever else. 
you qualify, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need some help. This is what yeah. it's there for, you know? Yeah. And it's like everybody needs some help sometimes. Sometimes what we do to make things accessible for people is to make it okay for them to get the help that they need. Because in our culture, we are told so often that we're not allowed to ask for help and that asking for help is weak. And of course, you don't want to be weak, do you? And we're like really nurtured, I don't know, socialized, that's a better word, into this mindset of it's not okay. Like help is for other people. It's not for me. And so maybe the accessibility that you have to plan for is how do I make help something that is acceptable for this person? Right. Because it is acceptable. It is acceptable to have help. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like in community contexts. And then for you and, and your your work as a as an herbalist or a clinician, of course you can consider things like a sliding scale or free clinic work, things like that to be able to offer what you do to people who wouldn't be able to afford your, your full fee and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also think about teaching as a way to, to get information out to people, right? And there I would say specifically think about offering classes that are like designed and oriented to be affordable, easy, and safe mm-hmm. in, in the, the maximal possible group. Do you know what I mean? Um, Which is to say... Um, herbs that are safe for most people and most situations and especially the sorts of things that would be true in the group that you're targeting. Yeah. So rather than being like, I'm going to do a community class on um, the most powerful way to work with ashwagandha, (laughs) okay? Instead, you could say, here are some plants you can get at the grocery store for less than $10 a week that can absolutely help with stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. People want that. (laughs) I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if some of those herbs are nutritive also, and yes, they will be, mm-hmm. so that that less than $10 a week also brings in, like, it is doubling as food for them because, um, you know, there are times, I mean, we've had times where our food budget for the family was, you know, $10 a week would have made a big dent in, in the food budget. And, the, you know, I think there are probably many people who have never experienced that, but I think many more people have experienced that and are experiencing that. So um, even when you can get your herbs to cross over as food um, or your interventions to cross over as food so that the dollar is doing twice the work, Mm -hmm. better. Yeah, absolutely. And then broadly, you know, trying to cultivate community within the work that you do, trying to build up connections and help people see the other people who are already there willing to help and ready, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, that's, that's an important part of, of what you do. I think uh, probably a, a way to frame this is like, you don't have to be the authority on everything that could help this person. You don't have to be the source for all of the information or all of the practices or all of the support that they're going to get. And it's both a matter of hubris to think that you would be, mm-hmm. but also not the best way to serve these people. Yeah. But yeah. it, it also goes right along with our capitalist society and you might find yourself doing it without realizing it oh yeah yeah. like feeling like oh i have to be everything because there's competition out there you know Mm -hmm. oh if i can't deliver then they're not gonna come to me for services even if you're offering something for free right like Mm -hmm. you might still have that feeling of pressure you may not even realize that you have that feeling of pressure and so you're creating this kind you you may be creating this kind of situation where 
you are making yourself the one to rely on. And that is not sustainable for you. It's not sustainable for the people you're trying to help. Um, and it's also, like you said, you know, hubris, often not intentional hubris, often societally imposed humorous hubris. Right. But yeah. Still, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something that's alternative medicine. That means it's like medicine. That means I got to be kind of like a, a doctor. In I have a way. to do it. I have to do gotta, it all. I got to know all the things I got to, mm-hmm. I got to project authority, you know, like, yeah. and that's, we haven't found that to be necessary or helpful or, or particularly beneficial, um, mm-hmm. for, for the people that we've tried to help. So. We like this way better. Yeah. 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 So if you're a if you're a podcast listener, um, and this is the the main way that you interact with us, then you you may have heard our prior series of episodes that was accessible herbalism for um, mm-hmm. accessible herbalism for high blood pressure, for edema, for weight management, for sleep, for wound care. You know, we had a whole series. You can check them out in the feed here. But better is to check them out as our herbal community care toolkit. Um, you can find that along with our other courses at online.commonwealthherbs.com. And it has both the, the discussions like this, but also uh, supplemental wonderfulness. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Some extra information about different medicine making things, some extra information about other accessibility options, some printable stuff, videos. Yeah, yeah all kinds of good things in there. Um, so we encourage you to check that out. That one... Um, all the time is offered either by donation, um, or if you can't afford it, then you reach out to us, just drop us an email, and we'll get you a, a 100% discount code so you can get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, don't forget that right now you can get 20% off of everything that we offer. All of our courses, our family herbalist program, our community herbalist program, um, anything that we've got, you can get 20% off if you use the code all together at checkout until the end of July. I particularly want to put a plug in for the herb drug interactions and herb safety course, mm. um, which has, has wrapped up or it's, there's like one more to go in there, but, um, we just did a huge update on that. And that's part of the clinical herbalist program and you can do the clinical herbalist program, or if you just want that one piece to augment your other work, th- that is a, that's a thing that's not like super, available out there there aren't like tons and tons of people teaching that in a sort of system systemic or systematic kind of way mm-hmm. um and so a lot of people feel um like maybe that's a gap in their education and they and that makes them feel a little like unconfident dealing with people who are taking a lot of medications um but you can just grab that piece individually if you want to that course is available all by itself um at our website online.commonwealthherbs.com Yes. Very good. So we hope to see many of you as new students soon. (laughs) Um, And uh, we'll be back soon with some more Holistic Herbalism podcast. Uh, Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Drink some tea. Why don't we have any tea? Drink some tea. We need to go get some tea. (laughs) We do. We do. And keep it real. Yes. All of the kinds of real. (laughs) All the real. All together. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are all together. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. That's the code again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.